Well, good morning, Southview family. How are we? All right. Welcome, welcome. So glad that you're here with us today. If you're a guest with us, thank you for worshiping with us. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you with us. If you are a guest, we would love for you to do something for us. If you would be so kind as to just simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT. To the number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT there. You'll get a link sent to you. Click on that and fill out a little bit of information for us just so we can know who you are, that you're with us, how we can minister to you, pray for you in the best way possible. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. But we are so thankful that you're here today. Hopefully when you came in, you grabbed a bulletin. We have them on the sides. Uh, If you did not, we encourage you to grab one on your way out. You'll find a rundown of what's going on here at Southview and how you can get plugged in and involved. Also, in that bulletin, you'll find a little handout that does two things. One, it is an order form for poinsettias. We're going to be decorating our sanctuary here for Christmas in the next week. 
And so you can order a poinsettia for that. And then also it gives you a little bit of a calendar rundown of what the next few weeks are going to look like for us here at Southview during this Christmas season. So we encourage you to grab that so you know what's going on. But one thing specifically I want to highlight for us is our Ladies of Grace Christmas brunch that's going to be on December 12th. The cost of that is $15. You can buy a ticket out this door to your right. You're going to see a table sit there. Uh, buy you a ticket uh, for that December 12th uh, ladies brunch you will not want to miss it it's going to be fantastic I cannot encourage it more strongly um, so during this season with COVID uh, we're not passing an offering plate uh, so you can give your offering by either dropping it in the buckets on the way out or giving online you can go to the website and uh, set up your online giving there www.southviewbc.com you can set up online giving, or you can send it directly to the church office, whatever works best for you. But speaking of offering, I want to highlight something for you. We're entering now into a season, um, Christmas season, we're all past Thanksgiving, so we can officially say Christmas, yes, yes. And so at, for us as a church, during this time, we are a Southern Baptist congregation, and during Christmas, during December every year, we take up what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. This goes to international missions. Um, you may not know this, but currently right now in the world, there are roughly 2 billion, B with a B, billion people who are considered unreached and unengaged. That means they're not just not Christians. That means they live in parts of the world where they have never heard the name of Jesus, have never had anyone tell them about Jesus, have no Christians around them. They're totally unreached and unengaged. Roughly one-third of the entire world's population has never had the opportunity to even hear of Jesus. This mission, this mission's offering, raises money all over the country. Southern Baptist churches raise this money to help equip and send out missionaries to do something about that. The great thing about being Southern Baptist is that you get to be a part of a bigger group of people pooling our resources together to accomplish a great thing for the kingdom of God. And this is a wonderful, wonderful way to do that. So I encourage you to be in prayer about how you can generously give for that. Uh, you can find an envelope in the back of the pew in front of you. Or if you want to just drop it in the bucket, a check, you just mark uh, Lottie Moon in the memo section. Or if you're giving online, you can designate there as well, Lottie Moon Christmas offering and give that way. But we cannot encourage you more highly to be in prayer about this. Seeing the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ go around the world to people who have never had the opportunity to hear. This is the greatest thing that we can do this Christmas season. And I want to read a scripture to you, kind of in line with that. It's found in the book of Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 so this is a foretelling of what life is going to be like for us in heaven all right this is us in heaven this is what's going on and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain by your own and, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth forever. It's speaking here of Jesus. It's a song being sung about Jesus. And we get two ideas from this that I think are really important. Two encouraging points for us this morning. Number one, we're thinking about the gospel going out and unreached people. 
this promises us, we have a promise from God in Scripture that there are going to be people in every unreached people group worshiping Jesus for all eternity. So you know what that means? When you give your money for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you give it on the back of a promise. God has promised that money is going to go to good use, and people from every unreached group are going to be with Jesus for all eternity. And we get to be a small part in seeing that happen. Second thing we get is this. You are going to spend all of eternity singing with those brothers and sisters in Christ, praise songs to Jesus forever. So you know what that means for us right now? We need the practice. What we do on Sunday mornings is practice for heaven. Why did you come to faith in Christ but not immediately get ushered up into heaven? Two reasons. Three, I guess. One, he wants you to stay here on earth to proclaim his gospel to others, which is why we push things like the Lottie and Christmas offering. Two, there is something that it glorifies God in working his salvation into you through keeping you on this earth, walking through trials and difficulties, and that's what we're talking about in First and Second Peter. And three is this. He wants you practicing for heaven. He wants you getting ready. So, in just a moment, we're going to stand. Our band is going to lead us. I want to encourage you to sing loud. Sing with a heart full of praise and love for Jesus. Because we are proclaiming the excellencies of our glorious risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who shed his blood so that you and I and people from every tribe and tongue on all corners of the earth can one day worship him together forever. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you did this and you're continuing to do this. And I pray, God, that you would empower us now as we sing, that you would empower our praises, that we would lift our voices loudly because you have done such a great and amazing thing in us. And you are continuing to do this work throughout this community and to the ends of the earth. And we get to be just a small part of seeing that happen. Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand and let's celebrate. Celebrate the greatness of God. He is worthy to be praised. Let's sing together.
that amazing church? Yes. Yes. We sing of the God of our days. And scripture says, he says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. I love that. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed. It says the Lord who has compassion on you. And what that means is his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness and his righteousness will never depart from the believer from the saints that he has called for his purpose through the blood of his son Jesus Christ that we have reason to celebrate we have reason to sing we have been empowered to live out the gospel isn't that amazing because Christ loved you and loved me when we were dead in our sins have been freed if you are under the blood of Christ you have been freed from all all anxiety all fear all sinfulness and so we can praise and we can celebrate that Christ loves us and that would motivate us to love him so let's sing together Jesus loves me he is wonderful he's mighty to be praised let's sing
guys may be seated. The most effective form of evangelism, obviously, is one-on-one. That direct person who knows you, who sees your walk, uh, and says, okay, God is real to this person. Why isn't he real to me? And they begin seeking. But how do you get to that one-on-one relationship with a person? Particularly when there's 4 million people here, there's only about 7,000 evangelicals in the whole country. How do you find that person who is seeking? How do you find that person who's open? And so you need a big net. And then basically that, the, the radio is one of our big nets um, for evangelism. Ispravo ili pogrešno, dobro ili zlo, nema neutralnog teritorija. Bijelo ili crno. It has a reach uh, for the majority of Zagreb, which is a city of a million people. And during our two 15-minute uh, time slots, there's about 40,000 people listening, uh, which blew our minds. You know, obviously, that's the main purpose, is broad seed sowing. About a year into the broadcasting, a, a guy started visiting, and he just mentioned casually, yeah, I've been listening to the radio for about a year before I decided to come to the Sunday evening service. He said, listen, um, I have an old property that I'm not using. Uh, why don't you guys come over during the week and have a Bible study? So now that has become the second church plant. The Southern Baptists have had a huge role in what, uh, what has been an amazing uh, spiritual change. And to keep that going, uh, that we would see that this new lost continent uh, would be found through the Lobby Moon offering. There's an impact I know, but then I think there's an enormous impact that that I'll never know until until we're in heaven and, and see. I believe that what we're seeing now is the first fruits. The, the one thing that keeps me here is this, this idea that I'm going to miss out on the most amazing thing that could possibly happen. And then to be able to watch what God does and to begin to see the faces of the people coming in and their stories of how their lives have changed and how you know, they've been brought out of, of such of a mess and into life. That, that, that's what I hope for and pray for. Uh, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, you know, uh, an entire life uh, would be worth it. Before we jump into the word, can we take just a minute and pray? Pray for the people of Croatia as they are being pursued by Christ through missionaries and your giving in Lottie Moon. Can we take just a minute and pray for them? Lord, I just lift up the people of Croatia, I ask you, Lord God, that you would open up their hearts to receive the gospel. I pray, God, that you would allow things like the radio program to catch the perfect ear at the perfect time, and that you would speak so powerfully and tenderly to them. God, I pray for the missionaries that are there. Lord, that you would empower them to proclaim the gospel. I pray for the Croatian believers that are there, that you would empower them to live out powerful lives 
changed by you, Jesus, in front of their friends and family so that people can see that there is something to this. And God, I pray for us in our hearts. I pray, God, that you'll move in our hearts to be a part of proclaiming the gospel around the world, both there in Croatia and, and, and everywhere. I pray, God, that you would, God, that you would, God, I pray that we will be diligent in our prayers. I pray, God, that we would faithfully, faithfully, powerfully call out for a move of the gospel in unreached parts of the world. I pray, God, that you would empower us to be generous givers. God, over the next few weeks, I pray that you would empower us, God, to just give like we've never given before so that the gospel may go out. And I pray, God, that you would allow us to be courageous for ourselves to go. I pray, God, that you'll raise people up in this room right here to go on short-term trips, to give a week, two weeks of their life, God, to go somewhere that needs to hear the gospel of Christ they would go and proclaim. I pray, God, that you would stir in hearts right now, that they would give their lives to full-time missions. I pray, God, for our kids. I pray, God, that you would raise up a generation of children here at Southview Baptist Church that go off for the gospel. I pray, God, that you would send many. I'd ask that you start with mine. I pray, God, that you would send them off so that they can see these two billion people who have never even heard the name of Jesus singing with us in heaven for all eternity. Do this, Jesus, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, there's going to be one on the back of the pew in front of you. You can grab that. It's going to be page 1117 in the pew Bible behind uh, the, the pew in front of you. Um, or we also will have the scriptures up on the screen. So we are working our way through First and Second Peter. And as we're doing that, we're seeing how we as Christians are to live out in a fallen, broken world. And this world is fallen and broken. Um, Peter was writing to Christians uh, living during the Roman Empire, a time where they were experiencing political unrest and economic unrest and social unrest and racial unrest and all kinds of things were happening in their world causing everything that seemed to be normal to, to now be flipped upside down. And, and, and we felt that it was a perfect time for us as a body to walk through First and Second Peter as well. So we've been going through, we finished up First Peter a few weeks ago, we're in Second Peter now. And what we're going to see today, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we're going to finish up chapter 1. What we're going to see today is the importance and the power of the Bible in your life, especially in times of difficulty. All right? if, you're, if you've been around here for long, you know that we take the Bible very seriously. We believe here that the Bible is what's called the inerrant and inspired Word of God, that it is infallible. Uh, what that means is we believe that it is literally given to us by God. We believe this is the actual Word of God. We believe that there is no mixture of error in it at all. We believe it is perfect and right in everything that it teaches and that we are to submit ourselves to it. We place ourselves under the Bible. We do not place ourselves on top of the Bible determining what's right and wrong, good and bad within it. We give ourselves to it and we trust that it is indeed God's word. That is our position here. But what we want you to understand, there, there are ramifications to that. If you ask the average Christian how much time they spend in the Bible, you know what the answer that I get mostly is? Not as much as I should. 
And if we ask that question today, probably the answer we would get from most of us here in the room is, not as much as I should. So what I want us to do today is we're going to walk through this scripture and unpack a little bit of why it is powerful and significant and important for us as followers of Christ to be in the word and, and, and what that means for us and how that directs our path and why that's significant, okay? Uh, we, we don't just believe the Bible just because we should. It's not just good moral teachings and stories and um, things to help us figure out life better. We believe it is the actual living Word of God. It is active and powerful to cut to the deepest parts of our heart and soul for a very good, powerful reason to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. But specifically, this idea of the Word of God during difficult times is important. I want to read a scripture to you. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's so great. I love this. Psalm 119, verse 71. Psalm 119, uh, in fact, over the last several weeks in my personal time with the Lord, I've just been in Psalm 119. Uh, There are enough verses there to keep you busy. And so I've just been in Psalm 119 the last couple of weeks or so, just going through it bit by bit by bit, and I ran across this verse. Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. What the scripture is telling us is this. It's a good thing that I experience affliction and difficulty because only in affliction and difficulty are there things about God's word that I'm really going to be able to grasp and understand. Does that make sense? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew the Bible, like you know it, But when you walk through a time of difficulty, it goes from the head to the heart. It's no longer just about what you believe or what you say you believe. Now, it's a matter of, I am living this thing out. I'm actually putting faith to this. Affliction is a good thing when it comes to you in the Bible. Because through affliction, this is going to become more than just a bunch of stories that you learned. Through affliction, through difficulty, through hardship, through some trial, this becomes real. It becomes your daily bread. It becomes your lifesaver. It becomes your light. It becomes the, 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 it becomes reality for you, not just a book. And I think affliction and trial, for my life I would say, affliction and trial has been used by God to teach me his word in a way that I never could have learned otherwise. And so as we see the scriptures today, what I want us to see is the word of God come alive to us and how powerful and amazing it is. So let's jump in. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 16, okay? Big idea number one is this. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is true. we got to start there. Yes? So, verse 16. This is Peter speaking here, writing. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. All right, let's just stop there and look at verse 16. 
We did not follow cleverly devised myths. That word myth means something not based in fact. This need for Christians to defend the fact that they're not following a bunch of myths and fables, that's not a new thing for 2020. Since the first century, since the very beginning, the accusation against Christians is that we're following just a bunch of myths, made-up stories. And Peter is saying here, look, that's not true. Right? We're not following a bunch of made-up myths and fables. And, and I would submit this. So Peter is writing this. So the, the, the story goes like this. Well, this isn't really the way it happened. This isn't really Jesus' life. This isn't really what God is saying. These early followers of Christ just got together and wrote all this stuff out and exaggerated a bunch of things. And now it's a bunch of myths and folklore and fable that we follow. Here is my pushback to that. If the early Christians got together and decided to make up a bunch of stories for people to follow... Wouldn't you think they make themselves look better than they do? If you read the Bible, there are a bunch of basket cases. Right? They consistently, habitually jack it up. If the disciples are sitting in a room figuring out what the story is going to be, don't you think at some point someone raised their hand and said, Hey guys, you remember that time when Jesus got arrested, and instead of standing with him, we all ran away screaming like babysitters in a horror movie? Let's leave that part out. Right? Or James and John are going to raise their hand and go, hey, 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 guys. So you remember that time when we got our mom to ask Jesus to give us preferential treatment? All right, in hindsight, that was not a good idea. So we can just leave that out. That'd be great. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Right. Or, or Peter, the guy who's writing this letter. Don't you think he would raise his hand and go, hey guys, you, um, you remember that time where I um, walked out on the water but stopped trusting Jesus so I sank like a rock? Or that time when Jesus called me the devil? Or that time when Jesus needed me and I denied him? Can we just, can we not put that in there? Right. The fact that the Bible is full of stories of the heroes of the faith consistently not living like heroes of the faith, in my opinion, is proof that this is real. They weren't trying to, right, the whole point of fake folklore and fable and myth is to make the hero look great. The truth is, the person who writes the story, when you lie, and when you lie, you do it for one reason. Make yourself look better. Right? You are in some way, shape, or form propping yourself up. If they're making lies, whoever writes the story makes themselves look good. So the fact that Jesus looks great means Jesus wrote the story. This isn't fake. This is true. And I love it. If you jump down to verse 17 you start to see how this came alive for Peter. Look at verse 17. For when he received, it's talking about Jesus, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's talking about um, something in the scriptures we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke called the Mount of Transfiguration. So the, what, what happened was this. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. And while he's up there, he literally pulls back his humanity and allows Peter, James, and John to see a glimpse of the full glory of Jesus as God. Then Moses and Elijah show up, representing the law and the prophets, stand there having a conversation with Jesus. And Peter, being Captain Obvious, says, this is a good thing. We should hang out more often. Like, this is great. We need to do this. Let's just build tents and do this forever. What's going on here? When Peter saw Jesus revealing himself in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, at that moment, it went from just stories that he had learned and teachings that he had received. At that moment, everything became real. He saw all the prophecies that he had learned as a child. Everything that, that had built up to this moment where he sees Jesus revealing himself as God. What made the scriptures come alive for Peter? What makes Peter stand on the fact that this is not a bunch of cleverly devised myths is the fact that he saw Jesus for who Jesus really is. And the same thing is true for us, okay? What allows the scriptures to become true, life-changing for you, it's not just that you read them, but that the Holy Spirit flips the switch and now everything comes alive. Especially if you came to faith in Christ as an adult. More than likely, the, the day that you got saved was not the first time you ever picked up a Bible. You'd heard stories before. You'd heard sermons before. You'd been in Sunday school class before. You knew things about God's Word. You knew things about the Gospel. But there was a moment where everything just, it's like someone flipped the switch. And everything made sense now. And everything came together and you said, that's it. This is what Peter's talking about. There's this moment in time where everything comes together and he sees Jesus for who he is and he says, yes and amen, that is it. So the question for you isn't, have you read the Bible? The question for you is this, has the Holy Spirit allowed the Bible to come alive to you? It is not difficult for you to read the scriptures and get nothing from them. Because the only way that you will receive from them is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Has the Spirit of God illuminated the Scriptures in your heart and mind so that it's come alive? So that when you read it, it's not just words on a page. When you read it, you literally are experiencing the life of Christ in you. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is is communicating with the Spirit of God inside of you and is coming alive. Has the Scriptures come alive? And this is especially true in times of difficulty, in times of pain, in times of hardship. You need the Word of God to come alive. How does that happen? Well, I believe it happens through, quite honestly, you asking the Holy Spirit to do it. When I sit down and I read my, my Bible... A lot of times, what I'll do is I'll sit down with it before I even read. I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, I ask that you allow your spirit to come alive to me. Speak to me through your word. 
I submit myself to you. I submit myself to your word. Speak to me through your word. And I just allow myself to be spoken to by the Holy Spirit through his word so that he can come alive. And, 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 and not just be, again, stories to read or verses to memorize, but truth that comes alive in my soul. Does that make sense? The two are very, very different. If you've been doing the Christian thing for long enough, you know what it's like to read your Bible and be done at the end and go, I got nothing. Right? You ever been there? I have. Right? You get to the bottom of the page and go, well, okie dokie. All right. There we go. And I also know what it's like to jump into the Word and I don't even get past Word 1. Because the Spirit of God is so alive and speaking so clearly through His Word that it is just bringing life to my soul. This is what Peter's referring to here. We don't follow a bunch of cleverly devised myths. We submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, our living Savior, and He comes to us alive in His Word. So not only is the Bible true, But you're going to go to the next verse, verse 18. And we're going to see that that the word is light, verse 19. The word is light. Look at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more powerfully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. So, so in verse 19, the Bible is referred to as a lamp shining in a dark place. So, yes or no, this world is dark. Can we agree? We live in a dark place. We live in a place where, where it seems that right is wrong and good is bad and up is down and down is up. And it seems to be no direction. Everything you thought was right, everyone around you thinks is wrong. We live in a dark place. And what the Bible tells us here in verse 19 is there is only one light that can shine in the midst of all that, and that is the Word of God. Right? This prophetic Word, speaking of the Scriptures, which we have fully confirmed in us, which you would do well to pay attention. You'd be very, very, very smart to pay attention to God's Word as to a lamp shining in a dark place. This world is dark, but the powerful scriptures are a lamp in this dark world. We must pay careful attention to the scriptures to light our path. So think about a lamp, right? Uh, This this lamp that they would have in the first century. It doesn't shine very far, right? It's not not your mag light, right? It's not going to shine for a mile and a half. It's just the next step. And so the point is to keep that lamp with you so you can see the next step and the next step and the next step. This is the way it's described in the Scriptures. You keep the Scriptures with you so that you can see the next step and the next step and the next step. The Bible does not show you deep into your future. The Bible shows you the next step you are to take. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I love it. People say, well, I wish God would just tell me everything in the future that's going to happen. You can't handle it, bro. That's not a thing you can do. You need just the next step. The Bible provides that for you. Especially in times of darkness. Especially in times of difficulty. When the world can feel even darker. 
This is your lamp. This is your next step. As you look at the scriptures, here in verse 19, we're told to pay attention to the scriptures as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. He's speaking of the second coming of Jesus. So you only need a lamp when it's dark. But when the light comes, you don't need a lamp, right? It's pointless. You have the sun. And there's going to come a day where the sun, S-O-N, rises. And you'll no longer need the lamp to guide your steps. Jesus himself is the light that will guide you. The Bible is pointing you to Jesus. The Bible is not just a bunch of cute stories. The Bible is not just a moral teaching. The Bible is a giant neon sign pointing to Jesus. What messes most people up in Western Christianity is you go to the Bible as a roadmap for your life. This is not a roadmap for your life. This is a sign pointing to Jesus. And if you get anything else from it besides that, you have missed the point. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, thinking that in them you have life, but you miss the point that it's all pointing to me. When you read the Bible, what do you get from it? When you read the scriptures, do you get a greater, deeper, more profound love for Jesus? Or do you get just a bunch of to-do lists and things that you should and should not do? That is not the point of the scriptures. The point of the scriptures is to be a light shining, pointing you down the path to Jesus Christ. Who loves you and laid his life down for you and desires to make you brand new every single day, living out his life by faith in him. And the scriptures are the lamp that points us that path. The Bible is your lamp. Do you use it? And then last, I want you to see verse 20. The word of God is inspired. So I used that word earlier. I want to kind of unpack it a little bit. Inspired. Verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So verse 20 talks about how no prophecy comes from someone's own interpretation. No one's just making it up. Verse 21 says the same thing. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. The Bible did not come simply by a guy writing it down. However, what it does say, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So theologians use the term dual authorship. The Bible was indeed written by men. We're reading a letter from a guy named Peter that actually happened. But it says these men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word carried along is the same word used to describe wind in the sail of a boat. Right? So for a boat, if you're a sailor and you're out on the water with your sailboat and you've got your, your, uh, your, your, uh, your, your, your gear, you've got everything set up, you've got your sail if the wind doesn't blow, you're done, right? You're just sitting there. You need the wind to blow. But when the wind blows, the sail catches it and sends you off like a rocket. And that's the way it's describing here. The Spirit of God literally blew onto these men, guiding them along, carrying them along 
in writing the Scriptures. Why this is important is this. The Bible is not just, again, a bunch of stories. The Bible is not just a bunch of moral teachings. The Bible is quite literally God's Word. And again, we live in a world that's very dark and everyone is searching for truth. Everyone thinks they have truth. Everyone thinks they have their own truth, which is very interesting. That's a, it's a crazy new phenomenon we have now where everyone is finding their own truth, which by definition contradicts everyone else's truth, which makes it not true. But hey, who needs common sense, right? It's 2020. The reason that we need to understand this is because we're not just, again, giving ourselves to a story. We, are, we believe that we are walking in the literal given word of God. God has given us his word. And he gives it to us for a very specific reason. Because he loves us. And he desires to reveal himself to you. So that you can see his word. So that you can use his word to see him and know him. To see Jesus and follow Jesus. To, to, have, to, 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 to know what truth is and have a real experience with Jesus. To have a light that lights your path. To receive the literal word of God, to be guided in that. Especially, again, in times of difficulty and hardship, in times of affliction, in times when the world is is pushing in on you. Especially in that. In times of trial, we truly learn that God's word is truth. In times of trial, we learn That God's word is our light. In times of trial, we learn that God's word is the literal word of God to me. So so I want to circle back around to where we began. When I ask Christians the question, how much time do you spend in God's word? Again, the usual answer is something along the lines of not as much as I should. And I think we give that answer because we don't want to put an actual number on it. That would embarrass us. And we know that we genuinely would like to spend more. So here's the question that I wanted to ask. Why don't we? Why don't we? If the Bible is true and if it's through the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit comes alive to us and gives us a real experience of Jesus Christ, if it's the Word and the Word alone that's going to be a light to light our path, In this dark world. If it's the word and the word alone that is the actual word of God given to us. God speaking to us. Why don't we engage with it more? The University of North Carolina. There's a professor by the name of Bart Ehrman. Uh, Dr. Ehrman is a religion professor. Which is odd because he's an ardent atheist. Whatever. Uh, Ehrman says that he grew up in an evangelical Christian home and says that he once upon a time was, the Christian, was a Christian and then denounced that and became who he is today. But he's also one of the most popular professors on Chapel Hill campus. And he will have, in a normal year, a couple of hundred students in an auditorium for his introduction to religion class. And he starts out the semester like this. He says... How many of you in this room 
are a Bible-believing Christian. And quite a few hands would go up. All right, great. He said, all right, how many of you Bible-believing Christians believe that this right here is the actual Word of God? Raise your hand. A bunch of hands would stay up. Oh, okay, interesting. He said, okay. So for those of you that believe that this is the actual Word of God, God Himself, creator of the universe, wrote this to give it to you. Yes? Yes. Great. How many of you have read all of it? And then, hands, of course, would drop down all over the place. And he would say, so let me see if I get this straight. You believe that this is God himself talking to you, but you don't actually read it? Sounds like you don't really believe it as much as you think you do. Now, Gardner Ehrman is intentionally trying to be a jerk. Right? He's trying to just embarrass 18-year-old kids who are attempting to stand for their faith. And, but it's still a pretty good question. So we believe that this is the Word of God. Why don't we spend time in it? I'd like for you to do something for me. I just want you just to bow your heads just for a moment. And, and, and I want to end today not giving you a three-step process on how to study your Bible and not, um, you know, directing you to a study guide online that you can do. Those are easy to find. You can, you can do that. That's no problem. The question that I want us to go out today is a little more ground level. So if we believe that God's word is true, and through God's word, he literally reveals himself and makes himself come alive to us. If we believe that God's word is indeed the lamp we need in this dark world. If we believe that this is actually the inspired word of God, God speaking to us. Why don't we take it more seriously? I think there are a couple of reasons. One, to be quite honest, I just think there are other things that we love more. I think we have bought a lot of lies. I think we have believed that there is such a thing as self-help. We believe that there are other things that can speak just as truthfully to us. If we leave here today with just one thing, what I want it to be, is a, a reassuring in our hearts of how significant and valuable God's Word is to us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus is being confronted by the devil in temptation. 
And listen to what Jesus says when confronted by the devil. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. What that means is the things of this earth cannot sustain you. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We cannot be sustained by the things of this earth. The things that this world produces, this world gives us. They may not even be inherently bad. Like bread is not inherently evil. Your friend's advice is not inherently bad. But anything that we seek to get life from other than Christ is. We cannot live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is where we're going to get life. True, genuine life. And what I want today, just to pray over us, is that God would light up in our hearts the realization that only in God's word are we going to get true life because only in God's word do we learn who God is and life can only come from Him. We have searched in so many different places in so many different ways. I want to encourage you today. Repent of what you need to be repenting of if it's neglecting God's word. And speak to the Lord today. Tell Him that you desire to feast on and be sustained by His Word. Lord, we just thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You give it to us. We thank You, God, that You, you by Your grace, give us the opportunity to hear from You. I pray, God, that you would just stir up in us, God, not a, not a condemnation, not a guilt trip, not a, gosh, I know I need to do that, but a longing, a hunger, a desire, a, 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 a push to know you more and delight in you more and, 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 and hear from you more, and we're going to get this through your word, especially in times of trial and difficulty. Your people need to be people of the word. Lead us in this, God. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. God is faithful. Therefore, His Word is faithful. And I want to encourage you this morning, devour God's Word by faith. He will never disappoint you. He will never leave you or neglect you. He is faithful. Therefore, so is His Word. Feast on it live. Do this in us, Jesus, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. And let's stand, everyone. Let's sing together.